here in Acts 27 we've got the account of Paul's, Paul's shipwreck and we could uh, open up this chapter in terms of it all being a kind of uh, an allegory, although it literally happened that it's all symbolic of our journey to salvation because they start off in, <clears throat> in a ship of Adromitium and apparently that can be translated the, the ship of death and they, uh, they try in their own strength to resolve all the problems and they can't do it and so they're thrown upon God's grace and there is in the centre of the ship a man Paul, who is of course a, a type in the sense of Jesus, who encourages them and strengthens them. And then at the end in verse 44, <coughs> finally they all escaped safe to land, and safe is the word usually translated to be saved, uh, as if Malta was, as it were, the, uh, the kingdom of God. Well, you could uh, open the chapter up from that point of view, but um, <coughs> I don't find any longer that kind of... Uh, uh, allegory uh, interpretation sort of particularly satisfying although I must admit it does sort of uh, it does hold together in this in this case but instead I want to focus upon the way in which Paul was being set up here to live out the experiences of Jesus that he had had in his mortal life and also in his uh, particularly in his final sufferings and, and in his death Paul is being set up, I suggest, by providence, by circumstance which are brought into his life, to see the connection between him in his life and the Jesus who had lived some years before. And he responds to that. Having been set up like that, he responds to it very well because he, on his own initiative then, goes on to quote words of Jesus and to act in a Jesus-like way. And that's the theme I want to develop really looking at this chapter because that is really our situation in life that time and again in our lives we are set up with situations by God by the hand of providence and you think wow this is exactly the situation in essence that Jesus was in or Paul was in or some Bible character was in and the point is that we should then go on to uh, respond to that on our side uh, in a way that continues that connection forward. And that, I would suggest, is in fact the, the essence, the, the art, almost, of spiritual life, to see God's proddings and the way God is setting you up. It's like when Jesus was in the wilderness. He quotes, to strengthen himself against temptation, from Deuteronomy 6 and Deuteronomy 8. And why does he do that? Because he twigs that Israel were 40 years tempted in the wilderness. He was 40 days in the desert. They also didn't have anything to eat. He also was hungry, didn't have anything to eat. And he saw that as they were being tested to know what was in their heart, as Deuteronomy says, so he also was being tested specifically to reveal the state of his heart. And so he tweaked that, and that's why he, he quoted, as he does, that's why out of all the Old Testament, he chooses to quote three times from that section of Scripture from Deuteronomy 6 to Deuteronomy 8. And so here, Paul in the shipwreck, he's being set up as going through the, the experiences of Jesus. So verse 1, they delivered Paul. They delivered Paul unto a centurion. They delivered him into Roman power. Same word used about Jesus as he came to the cross, that he was delivered over to the soldiers to be crucified. 
and then they launched out, verse 2, we launched, this is the same word, Luke 22:66. Jesus was led into the judgment hall, and incidentally, verse, uh, verse 1, when it says, it was determined that we should sail into, into Italy, the word determined is usually translated judge. It was judged that we should go into Italy, and... Uh, <clears throat> Paul is delivered as Jesus was delivered after he'd been judged and condemned. Um, and then they launch out, verse 2. This is the same word, Jesus was led in, into, the, uh, into the judgment hall. So Paul couldn't control this. This was being set up uh, by providence for him to perceive. And so it is, I think, in our lives that we struggle to attach meaning to event. And again, that is almost an art form in spiritual terms to, to attach meaning to event. But that's why we pray for God's help to basically understand life, to understand what's going on. Because God is setting us up, potentially, time and again, every day. And we are to, to perceive that he's leading us into a situation that has direct biblical precedent. And this is where familiarity with the text of Scripture is so important. This is why I'm a great fan of daily Bible reading. Even if you may say, but I read some chapters and I get nothing out of it. Sure, you may go out, as it were, from your episode of Bible reading, maybe just with a load of questions, and not really understanding or having taken, as we say, a point with you. But all the same your familiarity with the text and with the stories and the history and the teaching suddenly something happens in your life and click, yes, I see it I'm in that situation and I think this is what happened with, uh, with Paul but going on in verse 14 this great wind Euclidon <coughs> beat uh, upon the uh, uh, upon the ship um, <clears throat> there arose against it, or the AV margin there, beat against the ship a tempestuous wind. This is the same word in Mark 4.37 for how the, the storm beat upon the ship in the Galilee storm. And you rather imagine how, just as the disciples looked at uh, Jesus when he saved them from the storm and said, what manner of man is this? Now that is really the response and the feeling that the other passengers on the ship must have had to Paul. So again, there he was in a ship with a storm beating against it. Okay, when did that happen? Elsewhere in the scriptures? It happened when Jesus was with the disciples on Galilee in the boat, and they were saved out of it. And so it happens in our lives time and time again, if we will perceive it. Now also, the whole record of Paul's shipwreck here is described in language which is clearly alluding to the Septuagint text of Jonah's sea voyage and his uh, catastrophe, as it were, at, uh, at sea. Um, <clears throat> you see that in verse 18 particularly. Uh, we were exceedingly tossed with a tempest. This is right out of Jonah 1 verse 5, uh, about what happened to Jonah on his uh, sea voyage, running away from, from his commission to preach. And, of course, Jonah's experience was all... Uh, a foretaste of the crucifixion because Jesus says that as Jonah was three days inside the big fish so he was going to be three days in the heart of the earth so the throwing of Jonah overboard and the, 
the storm that came upon him was therefore meant to be understood by, by Jesus as uh, the sufferings of Jesus on the cross. And so all the time God is prodding Paul. Now whether he perceived that he was in Jonah's position, I don't know. And Jonah as the, uh, the reluctant prophet, I mean Paul also, uh, admits to his problem of being somewhat uh, reluctant to preach. You may not immediately pick that up, but I, I say that on the basis of the fact that he, <clears throat> it seems that he ran away from his preaching commission initially after the incident uh, in Damascus and uh, in Jerusalem, and he goes off into, into Arabia for many years. And there's nothing recorded about what he did there. And he says to the uh, uh, Ephesians, the Philippians and the Colossians that basically pray for me that I may witness as I ought to when he was there in Rome maybe verse 21 of our chapter here hints at that after long abstinence after long holding back Paul stood forth in the midst of them and said etc um, so you could argue that maybe Paul was like Jonah, somewhat reluctant maybe he struggled against a shyness in uh, in public testifying, and that's why uh, earlier on in Acts, we looked in, in Acts 18, verses 4 and 5, sorry, um, <clears throat> uh, sorry when, uh, when, when he's in uh, Corinth, he is encouraged, uh, sorry, verse 9 of Acts 18, the Lord spoke to Paul in the night by a vision, be not afraid, but speak, and don't hold your peace, for I am with you, and no one shall hurt you, for I have much people in this city. So it's as if he had to be encouraged even in Corinth. And it's the same language here, really, that after long abstinence, Paul stood forth in the midst of them, here in chapter 27, verse 21. And so he, he sort of comes out, uh, and then he says, verse 23, There stood by me this night the angel of God, whose I am and whom I serve, saying, Fear not, Paul. Now that's exactly what the angel said to him back in Corinth. So the implication could be, or maybe the Lord Jesus said it to him back in, uh, in Corinth, uh, but the implication could be that Paul was somewhat reluctant in, in his witness, and he was going to Rome to make a witness. After all, he, he could have got out of it, but his appeal unto Caesar, I would uh, argue, was because he wanted specifically to spread the gospel further and to get a passage to Rome and to get a, a public audience there in Rome uh, for the case of Christianity. So then, if Paul had perceived that, he would have perceived that actually he's being set up as Jonah, and that he better respond as Jonah did. Now, how does all this translate into our lives? Well, you can be in a situation where you meet someone, maybe a complete stranger, and strange things happen, and you realize you're being prodded you're being prodded to do something. It may be that you encounter someone who's, who's teaching maybe a, a religion that's complete, complete idiocy. Um, I often think that about the Mormons. Uh, I, I was feeling very low one, late one night in, in Moscow in Russia, and I was on the, uh, on the subway, on the metro there, and sitting opposite me, there was a guy dressed as a Mormon missionary, you know, with all the black suit and all that, and he was reading a book, I think it was called 701 Irregular Russian Verbs. And I thought, my goodness, those Mormons, um, you know, like from a kid, I always like to sort of uh, 
associate the word Mormon with uh, Mormon, but um, I shouldn't say that really, but I, I have always made that association. And, uh, you know, you think, this is such nonsense, what they're teaching. And is this bloke... You know, late at night there, on the on the metro, and he's reading his, his Russian grammar book, trying to learn Russian so he can preach better. And I was sitting there, and the carriage was empty, and uh, some some uh, guys got on, and they looked at me, and they looked at him, and they obviously wanted money, and they went for him. And uh, I must admit, I, I jumped off at the next stop, and I don't know what happened to that, that young guy. But I, I walked back to where I was staying late that night, really encouraged, really strengthened by that guy, who I don't know, and God bless him, and may he come to God's kingdom. Um, God brings these situations into your life to prod you. Now, you know, I could have walked home and thought, ah, yeah, well, anyway, that just shows that it's a waste of time preaching the gospel here, and it's too big a risk, and all the rest of it. But no, yeah, if you take it the right way, you are encouraged further. And this is what I think happened with, uh, with Paul. He, he perceived uh, all this. Because going on in Acts 27, in verse 34, he says, I urge you to take some food, for this is for your health, for there shall not an hair fall from the head of any of you. Now, he's quoting there, Luke 21:18, And... In verse 22 and verse 25, he twice says uh, in the AV, Be of good cheer, be of good comfort. And then verse uh, 25 again, Sirs, be of good comfort. Now, these are the very words of Jesus, John 16, verse 33, where he says also twice in the upper, upper room, Be of good cheer, be of good comfort. I have overcome the world. And he also says those very same words when the disciples were struggling in the storm, with the storm beating upon the boat just as Eurocledon beat against the boat uh, that, that Paul was in. You know, Jesus says to them, uh, um, in Mark 6.50, Be of good cheer. Be of good cheer. The very same words. Now, I said that Paul was set up, sort of providentially, he was set up um, to have certain points of contact between what he was going through and what Jesus had gone through at different points in, in his life. And now he takes the initiative. It's like he gets it. And now he starts quoting words of Jesus to these other people. He perceives himself as Jesus. Then you come to verse 35. He took bread and gave thanks to God in presence of them all, and when he had broken it, he began to eat. And then they were of good cheer, and they also took some. Now, that is very clearly an allusion by Paul to the breaking of bread uh, as it was done by Jesus in the upper room. Again, in a context of people fearing and people worried about having to go through a, a crucifixion with Jesus experience. I get the impression that Paul was slowly and deliberately copying the example of Jesus in the upper room. That he takes the bread in the presence of them all, before them all, the record says, he give th gives thanks to God, he breaks it, he eats, and then he gives to them, and then they eat. 
it cannot be denied that this is uh, an allusion to the breaking of bread service. So why does he do that? Well, he does that because he's got the point that I am to be Jesus to these guys. I am to be Jesus. So I'm not going to be like Jonah, the reluctant prophet. I'm going to uh, go to Rome and I'm going to make this witness that God has planned for me to make and that I myself wanted to make. And then, really, because of Paul, they are all saved. And there's a number of allusions that Paul Paul makes to the final verses, starting really from uh, <clears throat> from verse 40, 41, uh, uh, and onwards. He alludes to this a number of times in, in his writings. For example, 41, the forepart stuck fast and remained unmovable. Well, assuming that Paul was the author <clears throat> of the letter to the Hebrews, um, which I've given some reason to think that elsewhere, um, that's very much the, the language that is used about the certainty of our hope of salvation, unmovable, unbroken uh, by the violence of, of the waves. And the idea that this happened, verse 40, um, sorry, 41, in a place where two seas met, you could argue that that is <clears throat> some sort of uh, foretaste of the Day of Judgment. And really those men should have all been killed, but they were not because of Paul's influence. And somehow they all escaped safe <coughs> to, to the land. The uh, article is there in verse 44. They all find salvation, safety, same word, salvation, in the land. Of course, the land promised to Abraham, the kingdom of God. So I think that it's all being set up there for Paul to perceive himself as Jesus, but he need not have perceived himself as Jesus. He could have just got so scared, he just thought in a fatalistic way, well, this is it, I'm going to die, I'm going to drown, that's it. But no, he sees God's proddings, and he comes out, and he starts quoting words of Jesus. He starts acting like Jesus to the people around him. And as I say, that is exactly what we are going through in our lives. That this week, as you go back out into this world, and as I do, God has got all sorts of things in store for us. And the tragedy, I think, is that the vast majority of them we fail to perceive. But God is at work. Don't doubt that for one moment. That there is really no chance in our lives time and chance happens to all men is a, in the context there in Ecclesiastes, I think is a Hebraism for, for death. He's saying, look, death comes to us all. I don't think it means that there's time and chance in, in our lives. God is not controlling us as a puppet is controlled of course, but he is working in this wonderful way that he has that is not forcing, but is what I would call setting us up and it is for us to go forward and to, to realize that I am to be Jesus to these people around me. So, I can't help but make the point <clears throat> that Paul was without question alluding to the breaking of bread here. And these people that, if you like, he broke his bread with were unbelievers. And he did it with them in order to save them. So clearly Paul was not operating under any illusion of guilt by association through breaking bread. 
<clears throat> and it is that sad idea which has damaged so many uh, in our community and has caused endless destruction of families, of relationships, of, of churches, ecclesias. And quite clearly, Paul was not worked up about this issue. Clearly, he is alluding to how Jesus broke bread. He took the bread. I mean, <clears throat> when he, he writes the record of the, crucifixion, of the uh, breaking of bread <clears throat> in 1 Corinthians 11, 23 and 24, he almost seems to be alluding to this incident. That Jesus took bread, <clears throat> gave thanks to God in presence of them all. When he had broken it, he began to eat, and then he gave to the others, and told them to be of good cheer. And I've said that in the upper room, John 16:33, this is exactly what Jesus said. So then, don't be caught up with this issue of with whom should I break bread. Uh, and don't allow this to, to be the, the obsession that it has become for so many. But that's just in passing. The, the positive point is that we are to be Jesus to this world. And we are to respond to the prods of providence to do that. There's a, a lovely hymn that says, <clears throat> Brother, sister, let me serve you. Let me be the Christ to you. And that is absolutely what Paul was doing here and that is what God and Jesus want us to go out and do this week.